0: You may have noticed I appreciated nobody mocking me over this, but one of the consequences of having a choir director who's also an electrician—he's sensitive to lighting. He wanted to cha- make some changes to the platform lighting <clears throat> for the cantata, which just amplified, you know, my uh, unspeakable condition. So we'll we'll see we'll <clears throat> we'll see if he puts everything back in the dark the way it ought to be after the after the cantata. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, and let's go ahead back to verse number 1 and read down to verse number 7 this evening. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment, yea, I judge not mine own self, For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For whom maketh thee to differ from another, and what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? And we will stop there this evening and let's pray. Father. Well, Father, this is very simple. Give to us the heart and spirit that you are desiring from us when it comes to our thinking about other people who are in our lives particularly those whom we believe to be of tremendous spiritual value to us. And give to us this grace, please, that we might think properly, and I pray for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, again, in Paul is in what to us is chapter four is beginning the wind down of his introduction to the people. They have obviously written to him, he has started this church. They have questions before he answers their questions. He wants to talk to them about problems that they obviously do not believe to be problems. And in fact, it's very apparent, particularly from the tone of the first six chapters of the book, that they are very confident in the way they are conducting themselves, even though it is completely contrary to the teaching of the Scripture. Nevertheless, they are certain that they know what they are doing. And they are divided the initial... Subject is their division over the people who are ministering to them. Men like Paul himself and men like Apollos. And Paul has called them carnal and he has called them proud. He never calls their salvation into question, but he calls their maturity into question. And as we will see when we get to verse 8 and 9 next week, that they are persuaded that their ability to navigate a complex sinful world just carries over into navigating Christianity. That what works in the world will work in the church. What you know in the world, you can know in the church. What you do in the world, you can do in the church. And Paul is going to take great exception to that. And so in this particular section, and in verses 1 through 5, Paul has argued to them the futility of making judgments about people. And and I said last week that I am convinced that what he is primarily dealing with there is not making the kind of judgments that are critical of people, but exactly the opposite, the kind of judgments that are commendable about people. He's the the very best. He's, He's the goodest of the good. He's the most helpful. And... Paul points out to them that they cannot do this because they just simply don't know. Well, there's more to it than just they don't know. Number one, it's not their place. This is a judgment that belongs to the Lord. And number two, they just don't know the facts that need to be known. And again, when Paul in this passage talks about the hidden things, I don't think he means secret sinful things I just think he's pointing out the fact that there are things that people do that are unknown, that are going to be a part of the judgment that they receive. And if you don't know them, then you're not really in a position to make judgments about them. And then, of course, Paul points out that only the Lord knows the counsels of the hearts, the the real reason that we do the things that, we'll, that we do. I, I'm just talking now. I'm... Been working on Sunday school. And, you know, when Cain and Abel brought their offerings before the Lord, from a human standpoint, they looked exactly the same. And I think that's one of the reasons that there's a bit of mystery in the way that the account is told in Genesis chapter 4. The Lord could clearly see the distinction, but you and I could not clearly see the distinction. If God had not criticized Cain's offering, we would have thought nothing about Cain's offering. And so we have a very limited ability to view. We can see the things that people do, and there are judgments that must be made. i talked about that. We'll get into that. Chapter 5 is a thorough criticism of their failure to make those kinds of judgments. But we have to be very careful about making the kind of judgments that are, very, again, very commendable because we just don't know. It's not our place, because we just don't know. We don't know everything that's been done, and we don't know why anything has been done. And Paul continues, I suggest to you, along those lines in verses 6 and 7. He's going to add kind of another reason why you have to be very careful about making judgments, again, not critically, but about making judgments of commendation. I'm with Paul. He's better than Apollos. No, no, I'm with Apollos. He's better than Paul. No, no, I'm with Peter. He's better than the both of them. And so to do that, he is going to tackle their pride, because this is a huge, huge part of the problem, right? It's, it's one form of pride to think that we are honorable and successful and commendable in our own selves, and it's another kind of pride to make those kinds of judgments that hold people in those kind of regards, so in verse number six, Paul begins this by explaining how he is what he has done concerning himself and Apollos. And of course, in verses one and two, he said, Now here's how you should think about us. Let a man sow account of us. I, I want you to hold us in this regard. You, you hold us in this high, high, high regard, as if we are somehow the sources of your spiritual blessing and and your relationship with the Lord. But I want you to think of us this way. And then he says in verse number six, these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. These things I have in a figure transferred to myself and Apollos. So let's just ask two questions. Maybe we could ask more, but let's ask two questions. Number one, what things is he talking about? And number two, what does he mean by having transferred them? These things have I, in a figure, transferred to myself and to Apollos. Well, so far, and, and just for those of you that, that you know, go to the commentaries and read, and that's very good, you'll know that there's, pro- you'll probably be aware there's, there's a lot of, discussion about what these things are i don't want to get into that i just want to tell you what i would understand them to be to this point in the letter paul has used four analogies that describe the work that he is doing in chapter three verses six through eight he has likened himself to a farmer One man plants, one man waters. You are are God's husbandry. In chapter 3, verse number 10, he likens himself to an architect. That's literally the word of a master builder, an architecton. I'm like an architect, I'm like a farmer. In chapter 4 and verse number 1, he is a minister. And we talked about the fact that that word really refers to a subordinate. It's not the bond slave word. It is just somebody who is a subordinate. The the people were fighting over his superiority. And Paul says, I'm just a subordinate. And then also in chapter 4 and verse number 1, he is a steward. So here's what I think Paul means. I've taken those things. I've taken the idea of farming, and I've taken the idea of being an architect, and I've taken the idea of being a subordinate, and I've taken an under literally, and I've taken the idea of being a steward, a house ruler on behalf of another, and I have transferred them to, to me and Apollos. And the expression, in a figure, transferred. I'm going to give to you the Greek words, not because we want to talk about Greek, but because we use these words in English on a pretty regular basis. The meta scheme. Meta being a Greek word that refers to something that is in conjunction with something else. They are arranged together. And scheme, of course, we know, schematic. That word is used, Paul will use that word in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15 about Satan. And in first or in Philippians 3:21, <clears throat> it is used of what Christ will do to us. He will change, he will write a new schematic of our vile bodies. <clears throat> So here's what Paul is doing. This would be my understanding of the point that he's making. Paul has gone to very real life examples that any Corinthian would have understood. Everybody understood the world of farming. Everybody understood at a simple level the world of architecture. Everybody understood in Paul's world what it was to be an under rower. Everybody understood what it was in Paul's world to be a steward. To be the main boss of the house, but not the homeowner. And Paul's point is that he and Apollos aren't any of those things. They're not really farmers. And they're not really architects. And they're not really rowing a boat. And they're not really managing a household. I've taken these things... And I have, in a figure, transferred them to me and Apollos. So that you can get an idea of what we do and how we function in the Lord's work. This is, I think, what he's saying. We're like that. We're not that, but we're like that. Farmers do farm work. But, you know, even in our suburban world, folks, we all understand this. Farmers work the farm, but they don't make the crops grow. The success for farming lies outside of their ability. Architects build, but the buildings are more important than the architects. Underrowers labor as subordinates. What they do matters, but they're not in charge. And neither are stewards. It isn't that they don't do an important work. It isn't that they don't do work. Is that none of them are ultimately responsible for the outcome of the work that they do. And the work that they do is more important in a very real way than the worker who is doing it. And Paul then explains to them in verse number 6 why he has done this. These things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. I've done this for you, for your benefit. I don't need to be reminded about the life of a farmer. He doesn't say that. He's not, he's not trying to be ugly. But Paul will point out to them a little bit later in the chapter Verse number 14, I think it is. I don't write these things to shame you, but to admonish you. I'm trying to get at your mind is the point that he's making. I'm trying to get you to comprehend the arguments that I am making. In our world, we would say you need to buy into the vision. Right? When a coach... Comes to a team and articulates how he wants the program to go. He is looking for players who will buy into that vision. This is what Paul is trying to do with the Corinthians not berate them, not humiliate them, not intimidate them, but to train them. You need to think about this the right way. So I have done this for your sake. Let's go back to verse number six. These things, brethren, excuse me, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, so that, because that is the meaning of the word that, so that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. So I've talked to you like I'm a farmer and a builder and a manager and a rower so that you can look at me in Apollos and learn a lesson. Now let's remember something, folks. We do not lionize people or idolize people really for their sake. We lionize people and idolize people for our own sake. Please do not take this, I do not mean this in any way critically. I mean it only illustratively. But you don't wear Nebraska red and white, right? You don't buy a Nebraska jersey or licensed University of Nebraska souvenirs because you're concerned about the financial well-being of the University of Nebraska sports program. We buy that stuff for us. Right? We, don't, we don't buy Patrick Mahomes jerseys or Tom Brady football jerseys because we're concerned that the NFL isn't generating enough revenue and buying licensed product is good for their bottom line. We buy those things for us. So when we magnify somebody like Paul, we're not just doing that or even maybe majority doing that for Paul's sake. We're doing that for our sake. So that about, so that it, right? Especially when we're doing this from a position of pride so that it says something about us. I, I am of Paul. Paul. I am of Paul. I am of Paul. I am of Paul. And so Paul says, well, let me tell you how Apollos and I think about ourselves. So you shouldn't think of us, and you shouldn't think of each other in the wrong way. You should think of us, you should think of each other the way we think about ourselves. And as the Lord is always inclined to do. Right? He has a scripture for this. Verse number six. These things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think above of men above that which is written, that no one of you, <clears throat> I'm sorry, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. Above that which is written. Well, let me just take you back. You can turn back, and I won't take us back into the Old Testament. But let me just, just go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you will. And Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians one nineteen, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring nothing, bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Or 1 Corinthians 31 that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Or 1 Corinthians 2.9, but as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them to us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. In First Corinthians 3.19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Now again, I'm going to go back through all the Old Testament references. You probably have a note in your Bible. But do you notice the common denominator of every one of those Old Testament quotes? Every one of them is directed at our pride. Every one of them strips us of that which is most precious to us, our pride. I will destroy the wisdom. Eyes don't see, ears don't hear, hearts don't even think about the things I have for you but I will tell them to you through my spirit. So don't go beyond what is written, Paul said. What is written? Keep yourself very low. And don't let anybody put you above where you ought to be. Don't think of yourself that way, and don't begin to think of yourself that way because other people begin to talk about you that way. This is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. The Bible, folks, is a book. God puts us in our place. He is loving. He is kind. And I think we all understand that of all the many sins that he hates and calls an abomination, pride is one of those And for us to think that ministry is something that we can manage and that some human being can somehow be the source of spiritual blessing and some latest gimmick or technique that has been developed and discovered by the world and all of the worldly wise religious pundits and now we're off to the next new thing. Christian ministry is the work of the Spirit. It is the work of the Spirit to save people. It is the work of the Spirit to bring them to understand they need to be saved. It is the work of the Spirit to bring them to faith in Christ. It is the work of the Spirit to teach them the Bible. And it is to the glory of God when that happens. So going back again to verse number 6, Paul says, Right? I've transferred these things to you. Think of me like a farmer and an under rower. Just think of me like a subordinate so that you don't get caught up in something that is very offensive to God. So that you don't think above that which is written, you're not in a fight with the Bible, and that none of you be puffed up for one against God. The other, And the word puffed up is just that, it is inflated, they are like balloons. They may look big, but balloons are not really big. There is not really any substance to them, they are just filled with air. And this is something that Paul uses, this is an expression that he uses. 1 Corinthians 4, 18 and 19, he will come back to this. 1 Corinthians 5, 2, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Seven times in the New Testament, Paul uses that word. Six of them are in 1 Corinthians. Puffed up. Puffed up. Because, see, when you begin to think that way, this is what Paul's concern is. When they begin to think that way about him, they will just keep going with that and they will begin to think like that about each other. So don't be puffed up against each other. Don't. Think above what is written, because what is written is is that God is going to crush human wisdom. And don't get puffed up one against another. And that brings us then into verse number 7. Right? In which Paul is continuing on in the same line of thinking. be careful about making these kind of judgments about how superior Paul is relative to Apollos. You don't know the whole story and you don't know what drives them. Even though Paul said, even though I don't really know anything against myself, I I believe that I am clear before the Lord, but that doesn't matter because this is the Lord's judgment, not my judgment. And in verse number seven, Paul poses to them then three questions. Right? How do we how do we deal with this practically? How do I not think above what is written about human wisdom and understanding? And how do I not think myself above any other believer? How do I how do I avoid a fight? over who is the better believer. Three questions that are posed in verse number seven. Question number one, who make thee differ from another? Who? Right? Who? Who made you different? What is it about Paul that's different than Apollos, that's different about Peter, that's different about any other ordinary guy in the street like Cortus, good old number four in Romans 16, who made them different. We might just ask the question, why are we we? Right? Eight billion people in the world now. Never in the history of the world has there been anybody exactly like you, and yet on the other hand, we're just like every one of the other eight billion people. Who did that? Who did that? Why are some of us, I mean to reduce it to its simplest question, why are some of us boys and some of us girls? Who did that? Second question, what, verse number seven, what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Who made you to be different? And what do you have that wasn't a gift to you? What, and I think within the framework and the context here, folks, right? I really like Paul. And again, I, this is not, Paul is a great blessing to me. This is, Paul is better than Apollos, and I'm of him, and look at me because I'm of him, and you're only of Apollos, and Apollos isn't as much, and so you're not as much. Well, what do you have that you didn't receive? What, what did Paul have that he didn't get from the Lord? What did Apollos have that he didn't get from the Lord? And what did Peter have that he didn't get from the Lord? We'll get to this eventually, right? But the Spirit divides gifts according to his will. According to his will. And I don't say this to be funny, folks. I don't say this to be facetious. I don't say this to be whiny. But you have got to understand, I would have never chosen this for myself. Never. Never. I would have done almost anything besides this, given the choice. This is, this is not, and, and you, I was just talking to a pastor friend of mine. We're, part of the reason we're buddies is we think the same way. I always get really edgy when I hear guys talking about how much they love pastoral ministry and they couldn't live without pastoral ministry. They don't know what they do that, and there was just some great field to them, and I just think, what in the world am I doing? I like to build furniture. <clears throat> That's what I like to do. What do you have that wasn't given to you? And if it wasn't given to you, well, who made you different? These are the questions that Paul is posing to the Corinthians that, of course, are being posed to us, and that brings me to the third and the final question. For who maketh each a differ from another? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? And I think you know that the, that the word glory there means to boast, to brag. As if thou hadst not received it. Why would you brag about a gift? Why would you brag about something that isn't yours, that's not your possession, that was given to you as a stewardship? Why would you boast about that? And if anybody thinks, well, I'm bragging about it because I'm obviously more special that I got it and somebody else didn't, I would just encourage you to go back and read the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians again. Not many wise. Not many noble. Not many mighty. Not many. Right By design. By design so that so that all of the credit goes to where it belongs and not to us. Why would we think that somehow this is us? And, and let's just apply it, folks, to the, to the specific topic here that is being addressed. Why would we think, right, if, if we have ministered to people, and that ministry has been beneficial to them because that's really the framework here. Remember, we're talking about people that have been saved and blessed through the ministry of men like Paul and Apollos. Why would you brag about that success since it's not really your success? That's the question Paul's asking I mean, I think this should be asked to, to, very, to a, a large number of fundamental Baptist pastors. Why do you brag about how many people you've led to the Lord when you're not really responsible for any of them getting saved? The Lord saved them. And if the Lord used a man to lead many thousands to Christ and somebody else only led one person in their entire life to Christ and that was one of their own children, well, who made you to be different? And who gets the glory for the souls that are saved? And who has been gifted in that way? And why would you brag about something that you had really no control over? These are the questions that Paul is asking. So, just a couple of things and I'm going to wind it down here tonight, right? So, so here is, folks, in these, ver- in these two verses, verses six and seven, right? Here is true humility. True humility. We're not talking about self deprecation. That's not true. I mean, that might be true humility, but that's not the definition of true humility. Paul is not going to stand up anywhere and go you know I just I just sat in my tent and God saved people. In fact Paul make the exact opposite argument. The grace of God came upon me and I labored in that grace. And I traveled and I preached and I worked but the Lord was the real worker. True humility not self-deprecation. Not failing to labor, but laboring in the knowledge that he is laboring for the Lord who is worthy of all the credit. This is true humility. Not, oh shucks, I can't do that. But I can do that because God has gifted me to do that. And for that reason, I had better do that. I had better do what God has gifted me or enabled me to do. So there's the first insight or observation. Insight into true humanity True humility. Secondly, let us not forget what is genuinely at stake here. And it's not human reputation. It's God's reputation. To give credit to a man, any man, the best of men, for something that really God has done is to take that credit away from God. And that's, that's the great offense. So we're going to stop there. And we will continue on, Lord willing, next.